Welcome to Takeover Tuesday. I'm your host, Dermot Buffini. And as you know, once a month, I take over the Brian Buffini Show. And I interview people who've been there and done that. People who've achieved superior performance in different areas of life. I want to know what makes the person as much as what makes the success. And my guest today is Dr. Ivan Meisner, who's the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI. That's Business Network International, the world's largest networking organization with over 220,000 members in 70 countries throughout the world. He's a New York Times best-selling author and a contributor for Entrepreneur.com and Fox Business News. He's been called the father of modern networking by CNN and the networking guru by Entrepreneur Magazine. He has also been a guest on numerous television and radio shows, including The Today Show on NBC, as well as MSNBC, CNN, and the BBC. And he's also a very good friend of mine and a very good friend of Buffini and Company, Dr. Ivan Meisner. Ivan, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. It is great to be on the show. Appreciate the invitation. Well, I want to get into BNI. I'd love to talk to you about kind of the story behind BNI and how it's grown. And as I said, in 70 countries all over the world, 220,000 people every single month getting together to help each other in their businesses, refer business. And I want to get into all that good stuff and then get some top tips from you. Because obviously a lot of folks, uh, over a million and a half people have listened to the podcast now in 152 countries. And we're all trying to figure out the same things in life. We're trying to figure out how do we build great businesses, work with great people, and also not to forget to live the good life. So I want to get into all that. I want to pick your brain on that, get some good advice from you. But before we get going there, I'd love to start with young Ivan Meisner. Where did you grow up and what was your early life like? You know, I, I moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to South Central L.A., if you can believe that. (laughs) I I lived in South Central for about a year. I grew up in uh, the Azusa area. I grew up in a really, you know, kind of low-income, working-class family. But like you hear so many people say, I didn't realize Mm. I was Mm -hmm. from a low-income, working-class family because, you know, I had a great family life and fantastic parents. But Mm -hmm. I I grew up in the Azusa area. Ah. So what, were you a sports kid? What sort of kid were you? What were you into? Um, you know, I did do sports. I kind of dabbled in all of it. I played varsity football, hmm. but I was also at the same time, you know, in the chess club and in mm. student government. So hmm. I kind of did the geeky stuff. I really didn't know what I was. Huh. And so I kind of tried it all uh, <laughs> along the way. When did the entrepreneurial spirit kick in for you? When did you first figure out that you were kind of a, you had that in you? I think the first time that I really felt like an entrepreneur was when I ran across some guy, he was in the neighborhood, a gentleman who was making reflective address numbers, and they were kind of reflective so that when a headlight went on it, they would reflect and it went on on the home. And I thought, this is awesome. I mean, we need more of these in the neighborhood. He was like, yeah, no, I don't know how to sell them. I'm like, well, I'll sell them. I'll go door to door. So I literally went door to door (laughs) with these reflective numbers. I was, I think I was 14 years Hmm. old. And I started selling these reflective numbers. I sold out. I mean, they just sold like hotcakes. I mean, it was just amazing. And I was a little surprised at how well they sold, but they sold. So I went back to him. I said, I need more. So he started producing more. And I actually, at 14, I hired people (laughs) because I couldn't get to all of the the houses in, you know, the the greater area. And so I hired people. They They were all out selling. I got a small percentage of whatever they sold. And that's where I I learned about the importance of production and having a good production facility. Because at one point, he finally said, kid, 
you're driving me crazy. This is a part-time job for me. I mean, I have a full-time job, and now all I'm doing is making these reflective things for you. I, I quit. That's I'm like, great. You can't quit. I'm making a lot of money. Now I quit. So I lost my uh, manufacturing plant. That's great. You put your boss out of business. I did. I did. I made him work too hard. What a great story. 14 years of age, a young kid getting an opportunity and just going out and knocking on doors. Yeah. Yeah. I literally, literally knocking on doors and making nice money for, you know, a 14-year-old. That's awesome. Well, listen, I also read a little story about you in high school, and I'd love for you to share it with everybody, because obviously it had an indelible mark on you, and I thought it was great, because it kind of led you towards you creating opportunities for other people. Would you mind sharing the story about Mr. Romero? Isn't he the history teacher at Gladstone High School? Yeah, let me let me just see you have good researchers. I mean, you, your people are really uh, picking up material uh, that's out there. I'm, I'm impressed. I have a whole other list of stuff here I'm not allowed to share, but, I, you know, we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Romero, he absolutely made a huge difference in my life. I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. In junior high school, I had run for student government two years in a row and lost. Not just lost. I was decimated. You know, I was dead last in every election <laughs> that I ran for. It was almost a laughing stock, and I'm not sure I was completely aware of it until my freshman in high school, where I just lost so much. I finally decided, yeah, been there, done that. I don't want to run for anything else again. Mm-hmm. And we're in freshman history, and that's where they selected the student council representative, and Mr. Romero stood up and he said, okay, who would like to run for student council representative? Comes from the history class, freshman history class, the freshman class, and nobody raised their hand, not a single person. And finally, I'll never forget, Cheryl raised her hand. She was a cheerleader. (laughs) Beautiful young lady. Raised her hand. She stood up. She said, well, Mr. Romero, I'd love to run, but I just don't have time. I'm I'm really busy, and so I can't run. <laughs> I remember Romero looking at her going, okay, Cheryl, thank you so much. I appreciate you not volunteering. And nobody would volunteer. And he said, well, look, if you guys don't pick someone, then I'm going to pick. And I'm empowered to pick if you don't. Are you okay with that? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, fine. You pick anyone. It doesn't matter. So he said, okay. And he looked around the room, and he looked at me, and he said, Ivan. Now, I'd only known Mr. Romero for a week or two. Hmm. I have no idea why he picked me. But he looked at me and he said, I bet you'd be interested in this, wouldn't you? I was like, wow, Mr. Romero, yeah. I kind of would be interested in this. And I swear to you, I am not exaggerating. The entire class said, oh, Ivan, not Ivan, hmm. anybody but Ivan, hmm. even Cheryl jumped up and said, oh, Mr. Romero, if you're going to pick Ivan, I'll do it. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. Hmm. And Romero, God bless him, he said, no, no, you guys decided. I made my decision. Ivan's a student council representative. Everyone turned, you know, chapter two, page 10. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let's go. And he made me the student council representative. And that had such a huge impact on my life. And at mm-hmm. the moment, I'm not even sure I understood what kind of impact it had on my life. Mm. But it did. Years later, I looked back and I realized every single business, virtually every business I ever started was in many ways a repeat of that experience. Mm. It was an opportunity to give other people opportunities. Mm. I cannot make anyone successful in being I can't make anyone successful. 
Mm-hmm. So you were kind of you look to be the uh, Mr. Romero now of encouraging people in their potential. That's right, and then supporting them because he was there for me. He helped me. He supported me. I certainly didn't want to let him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did everything I could to be my best. And by the way, that same class that unanimously said, "Oh, Ivan, not Ivan." unanimously voted for me to be the student council representative in my sophomore year. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it is. Because, and, and I just had an opportunity. All I wanted was an opportunity. Well, you know, as you're telling that story, a physiological change is happening for me and kind of a redness in my face of embarrassment. I'm putting myself in that situation as a young kid in high school, you know, being rejected by your class. But obviously, you know, that must have been a very difficult thing. But how did that help you? Listen, when you're rejected like that, it's a very raw moment. It's very, it's a very raw, exposed kind of a moment because most of them really I didn't consider friends, but they were my classmates. To have your classmates just reject you like mm. that is, you know, at 14, it's like, yeah, I didn't have a crystal ball. Yeah, right. I couldn't look in this crystal ball and say, hey, get over it, kid. You're going to be successful. You're going to be a New York Times best-selling author. You're going to be a keynote right. speaker. You're going to run a global company. You didn't have any of that. Instead, what you saw is your classmates say, oh, my God, anybody but him, please. Mm. Mm. But I tried to not accept that rejection and focus on the opportunity. You have to define yourself, I believe, mm-hmm. by your successes in life. Yeah. Not your failures, not your rejections but you define yourself by your successes. And I think any successful person would say they have tons and tons of failures. I certainly do. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at your successes and run with those. Well, you've certainly done that. God bless Mr. Romero. I have tried to find him for decades now. I have not been able. He left in my like uh, sophomore, junior year from that school. I even hired a, a PI. Mr. Romero, if you're listening to the podcast, give us a call. We'd love to yeah. put you in touch with Ivan. So what happened after high school? Where did you go? What professional career did you enter into before BNI happened? So I was accepted to Occidental College on a like a half scholarship, but I couldn't afford it. Again, I, I went from a fairly low-income working-class family, and uh, so I had to turn down the scholarship because hmm. I couldn't afford the other half. So I went to a community college. I went to Citrus College, hmm. then uh, a state college. I went to Cal Poly Pomona. And uh, it was then that I got a job that I, I could pay for my graduate school and went to USC my master's and doctorate and um, got big student loans <laughs> yep. and, you know, finished that up and then went into the workforce. And I found that I didn't like working for people hmm. and, and wanted to do my own thing and was a business consultant for a few years when I stumbled on this concept of BNI. So talk to me about that. How did it get going and how long did it take before you found out that like maybe you're onto something here? Well, I think BNI is the perfect example of necessity being the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization with 8,000 chapters mm. in more than 70 countries around the world. Mm. But the truth is, I needed some referrals for my consulting practice. <laughs> I started BNI because I needed business for my consulting business. Mm. And I wanted to help my friends. I had a handful of friends that I really supported, and I wanted to help them. I hoped that they'd be willing to help me. And... Um, we got together from the very beginning. I, I wanted it to be something where it was only one person per profession mm. because I didn't want my competition in the room. Mm-hmm. And so we got together. We started referring to each other. And someone came to me in the first two months and said, hey, this is awesome. I could get a ton of business out of this. Would you help me open up my own group? And I actually said no. Mm. No, I'm a business consultant. I don't run a network. She said, well, this is kind of consulting. You know, you're helping me build my business. 
Yeah, okay. That's a stretch, but all right. All right, I'll do it. We opened up a second chapter. 25 people came. Two couldn't join because of a conflict in profession. Mm. And both of them said, this is awesome. I could get a ton of business out of this. I can't join because my profession's represented. Mm. Would you help me open up my own group? I told the second group, no, I don't do this. This is not my business. I'm a business consultant. They're like, well, this is kind of consulting. I'm like, okay, fine. We ended up opening 20 chapters the first year by accident. Wow. And it was at that point where I look back, usually between Christmas and New Year's, for many years, I take a few days off. I think it's really important for business people to take some time off and reflect. Mm Mm-hmm. Who are you? What's your vision? What's your personal vision? What's your professional vision? Where do you want to go? What are your goals? Think about all those things. And I sat back that year and I looked at what my goals were and compared it to what happened. And I was like, what the heck just happened? Mm. This was not part of my goal. And I think what happens is that we get so caught up doing what we're planning or what we want to do that it's really easy to miss opportunities. I almost missed this one, Hmm. but I sat down and I thought, in marketing, there's this concept of uh, push marketing and pull marketing. Mm -hmm. Push marketing where you're just pushing, pushing, pushing to get sales. Pull marketing is where you just pulled through the marketplace. I was being pulled through the marketplace and I didn't realize it. Yeah. You're almost saying no to it, right? It wasn't wasn't the vision. You were like, hey, I'm going to be a consultant to business. I'm not going to create these. I kept saying no, but kept doing it because people kept asking. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, stop. Hmm. You need to pay attention here. Because there's a real need, and it was at that point, it was December of 1985, Mm -hmm. between Christmas and New Year's, that I said, I thought to myself, we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. And you know this more than probably any other business around. You guys get this referral marketing concept. You have for decades. But we still don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere Mm -hmm. in the world. And I realized it in December of 1985. And it was at that point that I said, you know what, I'm going to go with this. And that's the point at which I created a plan to build this company to be an organization that ended up being global. It's a wonderful story. What is it about the groups, the chapters? Why do you think it has such a, a big appeal to local business people? What is it about getting together in a group with other folks? What is the magic in that? Why do they connect? Why do they come? Listen, B&I doesn't work for everyone, so that is a little bit of the elephant in the room that I want to talk about. But let me answer your question specifically. I think that community is still important. Mm-hmm. Getting face-to-face with people and having conversations is still important. And, and I also believe in online networking. Mm-hmm. I'm a believer in online networking. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. Mm. And so getting people together in this kind of timed repetition process of meeting weekly, building relationships, going deep and building social capital is a powerful process. And Alvin Toffler, I believe it was Toffler that talked about this in the 80s, we're moving into a high-tech, high-touch society. Mm -hmm. It was in the 80s he said that. Mm -hmm. Hey, guess what? We're there. We are in a high-tech, high-touch society. The more technologically advanced we become, the more important it is to stay connected to people. And so I think B&I has worked so incredibly well because it's about people getting together face-to-face. And by the way, we have meetings literally 365 days a year Mm. because not every country celebrates the same holidays we do. Many countries will meet on Saturday or Sunday. So the last time I looked at our numbers, we literally had chapter meetings. They meet once a week, but chapters somewhere in the world are meeting once a week every day of the year, including holidays that in North America are, are holidays for us, but they're not holidays in the Middle East or in Asia. 
it's just amazing. It's mind-boggling. You know what? It's humbling to mm-hmm. me Absolutely. as to what this has become. So if I went to a BNI meeting, because I love your mission. Your mission says, the mission of BNI is to help members increase their business through a structured, positive, and professional referral marketing program that enables them to develop meaningful, long-term relationships with quality business professionals. I mean, there's a lot in that mission statement. It's not just about increasing your business. It's a structured environment. It's positive. It is about building meaningful, long-term relationships with other quality business people in your community. So if I went, uh, what is the structure? What happens? If I go on a Wednesday morning, what does it look like? How does one of these meetings go? So again, kudos to your research people. They're doing a great job. That is exactly our mission statement. And in that is certainly that structured, positive, supportive program. So let me go back to that elephant in the room thing, because not everybody looks at BNI and says, oh, wow, this is awesome. Mm. Because, you know, attending a weekly meeting is a big commitment. Mm-hmm. A commitment. And not everybody is up for it. Uh, not everybody wants to do it. I've had many people say to me, I love BNI, I love the ethos, I love the philosophy, but, you know, can we meet once a month instead of every week? And I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, well, you know, I'd like to win the Boston Marathon, but I don't like to run. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. And if you want to build a powerful personal network, you have to meet with people on a regular basis. Yep. So I think one of the things that makes me and I works really well is the accountability as well as the relationship building. Mm-hmm. One of the strengths of a network is that people develop friendships. Mm-hmm. One of the weaknesses of a network is that people develop friendships. Mm-hmm. Friends don't like to hold friends accountable. Yep. But BNI is not a friendship organization. It's a referral organization. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be rules. There has to be systems. Hockey without rules would be boxing on ice. <laughs> so BNI needs rules. So I think one of the reasons it's worked so well is that there are rules. There are systems. And it is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And right. I'm okay with that. So I guess in that point, I mean, if you're looking at long-term, meaningful, quality relationships... I'd imagine that kind of outs one of the the mistakes people make in networking and viewing it as like, you're my means to my end. Yes. What are the type of mistakes that you see people making in networking? Well, look, I think the first big mistake is what I call the networking disconnect. So a few years ago, I was in London. I had about a thousand people in the audience. And I, I asked them, I said, um, how many of you are here today hoping to possibly, you know, just possibly sell something? 1,000 people raised their hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody. So cool. Second question. How many of you are here today hoping to possibly buy something? Nobody raised their hands. Not mm. one single person. So this is what I call the networking disconnect. People show up at networking meetings wanting to sell, but nobody is there to buy. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything really goes wrong. You know, so people go to networking events, and some people say, I hate networking, and they hate networking because they've had a bad experience, and their bad experience is based on being sold to. Yeah. And that is not good networking. Right. You know, to have a bad experience with a salesperson, and then to say, I hate sales, or I hate salespeople, mm-hmm. is to just take a look at one segment of the sales process and say, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And so to look at one segment of the networking process and say, I don't like it, is not to understand the full process. Networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. If mm. it's done right, it's about building relationships with people. It's not about this uh, sort of get-rich-quick scheme for mm-hmm. building business. Yep. Slow and steady. 
Yeah, right. And providing value to people, right, just by being a resource for them rather than, as you say, you know, in one of your books you talk about the giver's gain. Yeah, it really is. It's about providing value, and it's not about providing value by selling them something. Mm -hmm. I think people all too often have this, like, sales Tourette's. You know, (laughs) they talk to somebody, and they just can't stop themselves. They have to ask for the business Mm -hmm. before they build any kind of relationship. And I think that is a huge mistake. You have got to provide value to that person, and by providing value, you're building social capital. And Mm -hmm. by providing value, you're not necessarily trying to sell them something, but you're trying to get to know them and help them in some way. And so if you can refer them to someone who can help them, that's the best way to give value to the relationship. It's like a bank. Social capital is in a way like financial capital in the sense that if you write a check for $1,000 and you only have $100 in the bank, the bank is going to say, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. You can't cash this. It's not good. What happens is people try to cash checks on relationships without any investment. Mm-hmm. So you meet somebody, you try to make a withdrawal before you have any kind of investment in the That's relationship. Awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't work. And then they scratch their head and says, well, I don't understand. I've been on networking and I'm not getting anything. So deposits before withdrawals. Deposits before withdrawals. There's so many different kinds of what I would call desperate networkers, and desperation is not referable. Mm, that's so true. Let me give you four types of desperate networkers. There's the card dealer. It's the person who goes out there and is just uh, you know kind of passing out cards like at a poker table, and they think that by passing out enough cards, they're going to get business. Right. And that's definitely not the case. Then there's what I call the space violator. This is the person who like totally gets in your space, and they think that the closer they are to you, the, the, <laughs> the more they're going to you know get your sale. So they get right in your face and start talking. There's actually a whole field of study on this proxemics, hmm. and it's about personal space and the distance between people. In North America, that distance is roughly arm's length. Yeah, roughly. But that varies from country to country. I'm sure you know you guys do business all over the world. It varies a little. You know, when I'm in India, it's way closer. Yeah, right. (laughs) Way closer than arm's length. But the space violator, then there's the the person guilty of what I call premature solicitation. You don't want to say fast three times. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Uh, But that's the person who, you know, is asking for the sale before the relationship. We've kind of talked about them. Hmm. And then the fourth one is the new best friend. Uh, Yeah. Right? They meet you, and they are like your new best friend. They are like a stalker. They email you. They text you. They call you. They uh, get on your social media. I'm not making this up. I actually had a guy a few months ago when he finally emailed me, and he said, I swear to you, he said, I feel like I'm your son, and I'm learning <laughs> from you. And I'm like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> you're <laughs> you jumping know, a boundary. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're a little yeah, – yeah, yeah, it's exactly. You just cross the boundary I'm not good with. I think all of us are a little unaware – you know, there's an, an old expression that says, what's it like to be on the other side of me? You know, what is it like to be on the other side of me? And I think it's like emotional intelligence. You know, I heard somebody recently on an interview on a podcast, highly intelligent individual, brilliant, you know, making tons of money, but had very low EQ. So he'd walk into a room, very high intellect. And this is a typical thing where the higher the intellect, the lower the emotional intelligence. Yeah. And so he was talking about this as regards, I'm a very intelligent person, but I'm a very emotionally unintelligent person. And somebody actually coached him when he walked into a room not to just uh, look to the person who you're there to meet with and ignore everybody else. And little things like just eye contact when you shake hands with people. And he said it just made a tremendous difference to him. I think that's also a great element of identifying where you need to grow as a person 
And, you know, I think having those tips are very, very helpful just from the standpoint of we don't know how we're coming across. Because I don't believe anybody really wants to be your own personal stalker. They want to provide value. Just how they go about it doesn't allow that to actually take place. I would agree. And I think you also have to have an open mind to be willing to learn how to do those things. Yeah. And not everyone is. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to one guy where I was, I was talking about, you know, networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. You don't want to ask for a sale before there's any kind of relationship. I remember having this conversation with the guy going, you're completely off base. Mm-hmm. My product is so awesome <laughs> that it is incumbent on me that I share this with everyone. And I'm like, right. okay, I don't think we're going to ever see eye to eye. Right. But you're right. Most people, if they get it, they can change their behavior. There's no question about it. I'm curious about this. What are the differences between how men and women network? You know, I went into this study that I did a few years back. It, was, it ended up being part of a book called Business, Networking, and Sex. And the parenthesis is not what you think. <laughs> and it's about the difference between men and women and how they right. network. And I surveyed 12,000 people all over the world hmm. about networking and I'm actually a little surprised. I shouldn't have been, but I was a little surprised. I just assumed that men and women networked in the same way, and they don't. Mm. Men are more likely, and when you hear this, it's like, well, duh, this is, isn't this obvious? But it wasn't for me. When men, they're more likely to be transactional mm-hmm. in their relationship, even in networking, and not relational. Whereas women, based on 12,000 people are more likely to be relational than transactional. Now, if you're listening to this and you say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Well, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It's about the survey. And when you do a survey of 12,000 people, you get some pretty consistent patterns. Mm -hmm. And women were more likely to be relational. Well, and you know, the thing about it is, and this is where we learn from each other, right? I mean, this is I think God created man and woman. We learn from each other. And the fact that you can be highly transactional, and you'll have no relationships at the end of it, and you'll constantly have to start your business over again because there's no compounding effect in your business as regards that social capital you're talking about. I love that expression, compounding effect. That yeah. is so... It, because what we're talking about is something that is a force multiplier. Mm-hmm. And the compounding effect is that relationship building. You're right on the money. And then the flip side of it is, and this is where we, you know, we've coached 3 million people at this stage in our 21-year history. You can be highly relational, but unfortunately, when you go to buy your groceries, you can't cash the uh, great experience you had at breakfast. Uh, you've got to turn those relationships into transactions at some point. Right. That's true. And so both have a strength and both have a weakness. Now, mm-hmm. for the record, the women who tended to be more relational actually generated a higher percentage of business. Yep. Uh, than the men did. Yep. However, if we took gender out of it from the survey and just looked at relational versus transactional, anyone who was relational did better in networking than anyone who was transactional, mm. men or women. Yep. And so I think men can learn from the relational yep. process. The problem that women expressed in the survey, and particularly in the interviews and comments in the survey, was the, exactly what you're talking about. They had a little harder time asking for the sale, mm-hmm. where men had no problem going in and asking for the sale. They had a problem building the relationship. Women had no problem building the relationship, but were a little more uncomfortable in asking for the sale. And so some combination of the two is clearly what was most successful. Well, I think that's why I love your mission statement, because it encompasses the importance of transactions, increase their business through a structured, positive, professional referral marketing program, but also to develop meaningful long-term relationships with quality business professionals. 
So I think it's a great place. It's kind of like, you know, people go on Match.com looking for love, right? They know at least they've got an environment where they're like, the playing field is even. We all know why we're there. Let me ask you this. not gender specific, but what about introvert versus extrovert? Yeah, you know, so that's a great question. And for years, I just assumed I was an extrovert. Hmm. Uh, You know, I run the world's largest networking organization. I'm a keynote speaker. I just assumed I was an extrovert. And one day, and I have this in a blog a few years back, one day I was home with my wife and the kids were all out at some school event. And we had the night to ourselves. It's like one of the first times with no kids in the What do you do? Oh, it was awesome. We just, like, (laughs) talked. It was nice. But things went south because I said something about, well, I don't even remember the discussion, but it was like, oh, honey, you know me, I'm an extrovert. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, no, you're not. Hmm. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not? Of course I'm an extrovert. She said, no, you're not an extrovert. I run the world's largest networking organization. I'm a keynote speaker. I am not an introvert. She's like, honey, you are a total introvert. Hmm. Okay. And, and so we started getting an argument. And finally, she's like, okay, whatever you say. That's what you want to believe. That's fine. I'm like, no, you can't do that. So I'm now I'm mad. I go into my office at home, and I get online, and I find something on Google on taking a test on introvert, extrovert. So I take this test. comes back and says, congratulations, Ivan Meisner. You are an introvert. <laughs> and here's the key. You are a situational extrovert. Mm. So that if you are comfortable with the topic or the situation or the environment you come across as an extrovert. Otherwise, you're a total introvert. Now go apologize to your wife. <laughs> okay, so I didn't say that last thing, but I did. That's just years uh, of experience. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the beauty of it is I believe, and I believed this before I found out I was one, I believe you can be great at networking whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You just have to understand that they both have strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. and you have to address those. Extroverts have no problem walking up to a stranger and talking to them as a rule. Their problem is they can't shut up. Yeah. And their favorite topic is... Me, me, me. <laughs> you got it. Not that I'm one. But that's what they love to talk about is themselves. Yeah. Right. So an introvert, their problem is they can't just walk up to strangers easily. Yeah. But they're good listeners. Mm-hmm. A good networker is almost like a good interviewer. You are asking me questions and you're just allowing me to elaborate. That's a great networker mm-hmm. because you ask people questions and let them elaborate. Mm-hmm. You know, a good networker has two ears and one mouth yep. and uses them both proportionally. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's back to the other thing you were talking about, like just the, their superpowers, whether you're an extrovert. And I think introverts, in my experience, can think that that's a weakness where they it's do. not. They're the folks who will go to the party and they'll sit down with one person all night and know everything about them. They'll yes. also leave earlier. But again, it's back to the the male-female things. And as you said, you can learn from everybody and you can adjust or put your own superpower, whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, on a different track that will have much deeper impact. Yes, no question about it. And I think all too often we just assume that because we're one or the other that we're not good at something. And that's just not true. So let me ask you this. And all these folks show up at your meetings and you have the extrovert and the introvert in the room. How does the structure allow both of those people to exist and to accomplish all the things that your mission sets out? Well, the beauty of it is that everyone has an opportunity to speak. Everyone. Mm -hmm. So we go around the room and everyone gives a 60 second, well, 30 to 60 seconds. It depends on the size of the group. More and more, our chapters are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you have a weekly presentation where you have a chance to give half a minute to a one minute presentation about who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. Everyone, introvert, extrovert, everybody. Mm -hmm. And then each week, one or two people have a chance to do a 10-minute talk. 
and that's scheduled in advance where you can go into deeper detail about who you are and what you do. And then everyone goes around and, and gives the referrals they have that week. Uh, and if they don't have a referral, they give a testimonial or endorsement. So everyone has an equal opportunity to talk, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And it forces the extrovert to keep it to 60. Yep. <laughs> and the introvert, the opportunity to prepare for 60 seconds when they get there. And that's exactly what they do. They go in very well prepared, yeah. That's fantastic. And, and what we try to do is teach everybody to go in prepared. Hmm. Introvert and extrovert, don't wing it. Because winging it is really not the best use of your time. You want to break your business down into their least or lowest common denominators. You want to create what I would call your My Business 101. Mm-hmm. And every week, give a one-minute overview of some specific element of your business. If we're talking about real estate, let's say it's residential real estate. One week, you talk about an investor in mm-hmm. residential real estate in this particular community. Mm-hmm. The next week might be an investor in real estate for multiple units mm-hmm. in real estate. The next week is real estate for a first-time home buyer. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can narrow it down into a very specific kind of product or service, the more successful you're going to be because you're now training a referral team mm-hmm. how to refer you. Yeah. That's what makes the process work so incredibly well. Well, you've got two things. One is you measure how many referrals have gone through. I think in 2016, did yeah. you guys do like ah, some ridiculous... I eight, saw it was 8. A, 8 million referrals, 11.1 billion with a B, $11.1 billion worth of business for our Yeah, members. which is pretty impressive. And that's just within the groups. That's just within the groups. That's not our number. Right. That's their number. The right. members have said they have generated $11 billion worth of business. Now, just so you know, Eleven point one billion is the same as the gross domestic product for the country of Liechtenstein. <laughs> okay, it's a small country, but still, how cool is that that we could generate as much business as a small country? Yeah, it's amazing. It's the same number of uh, pints of Guinness drank in Ireland on a weekend, by the way. But that's just a separate, <laughs> separate item, completely. Um, <laughs> that's why we do so well in Ireland. Yeah, exactly, you, and you do have groups in Ireland, right? I mean, oh, a lot. You're everywhere. Very successful, yeah. The thing I love about that is, and this is kind of the tip for what I see is kind of like the hidden extras, which is you guys are just bringing them together once a week and that's the results. But in actual fact, you're preparing them to take the field yes. in their communities with their customers. That's a great way to put it. So the actual number, God only knows what it is, what happens outside of it, but it's practicing. And most people are practicing as they're playing. And again, a little background on how we met. We only met through some folks who we knew, who we were coaching, who were telling us they went there. My brother Brian did his research and he's like, this is awesome. So many people are in business for themselves, but they're also in business by themselves and they're alone a lot and trying to figure out problems that other entrepreneurs. So that's right. where we started when we were doing our seminars all over the country. My brother would recommend B&I groups for folks to seek them out. And what I love about the fact is that you called us and you yes. just reached out and you said, I want to know who you people are because you're referring a ton of people to us. I did. And thank you. I'm impressed you remember that. And I remember the person that introduced us. His name was Ed. And Ed uh, was uh, talking to me about, and I'd already known about your organization. And he was talking to me about how much you guys talk about Mm BNI. And I thought, you know, I have to give back. Relationship is a two-way process. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why I reached out. Because I think if, you know, if somebody is helping you and supporting you, then you have an obligation to reach back out to them. Well, you did. And I remember you drove down in the time, it was about 16 years ago. And you drove down in a, I, I, maybe this is, uh, my memory serves me, it was a canary yellow Hummer. <laughs> it was, it was a Hummer, but it wasn't yellow. It was wasn't that? 
No, it was a Hummer. I forgot that I had that Hummer then, yeah. It was a Hummer, uh, and it came in, and I hadn't seen one before, and they were the latest, greatest thing. You pulled into our car park, and you came in, you met with me and Brian and a few of our team, and you said, thank you, and then you said, I just want to know, what can I do to help you? Yeah. And I remember thinking, that is a great example of anybody who didn't have to do that, who's got business all over the world. Chapter's a thriving business, but you took the time to do that, and that always struck me, and it always impressed upon me that no matter how big we get or how many companies we serve or whatever, that we always take the opportunity to tell somebody, hey, I want to go out of my way to say thank you and what can I do for you? Which I think is basically the principle of what you teach others to do. Yeah, I think, you know, the core philosophy of BNI is giver's gain, this idea that if I give business to people, they'll give business to me. And I think it's really important to edify those who help you and to support those who help you. It's all based on the, the idea of what goes around comes around. I love doing business that way. You know, one thing I want to talk to you about, I hope you wouldn't mind sharing with everybody else here because it's obviously got a great result. But, you know, the sign of a business is how well it does when you're not there. And unfortunately, and we hadn't caught up in a while, and then I learned that you had become very sick. Tell us what happened with the business and then tell us, you know, what sickness you had and and then what you did. Five years ago, I was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, that certainly got my attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I opted to be very uh, transparent with that. I don't like necessarily telling everybody what's going on in my life, mm-hmm. personally, mm-hmm. because I am just a situational extrovert, but I run the world's largest business networking organization, and everybody talks. And so mm-hmm. I realized that they'd be talking whether I really shared it publicly or not, and mm-hmm. so the best way to address the issue was to be as candid as possible. So I actually put it out of my blog and informed everybody what was going on and what I was doing. And I opted to go with a holistic health approach. It has been five and a half years, and I still have not done radiation, chemotherapy, or surgery, Hmm. and I am in complete remission, and that's a little scary for a lot of people, but what I did would not be for everybody. Mm -hmm. I I am not a medical doctor, and you should always talk to a medical doctor, and I believe you have to be the captain of your ship, and you have to determine what works best for you. I opted not to do surgery, and I'm so glad I didn't. Hmm. I took a lot of courage to do that. So as you were taking care of yourself, the business kept going along, no problem, and working fine. And Yeah. So B&I, we have 32 years mm-hmm. of consecutive growth mm. without exception. There are very, very few companies yep. in the world that can say we had 32 years without exception. No year was lower than the previous year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think one of the reasons for that was that I was pretty transparent. You know, I told everybody, look, I'm going to be hard to reach for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here's why. Did you get a lot of support from the network? Tons. As you say, when you think like a farmer more than a hunter, those seeds that you planted all around the world, I'm just curious about, did BNI, what role did it play in your spirit, in your healing? Immense. The number of cards, emails, uh, comments on social media, on my blog, again, were humbling. I mean, just absolutely humbling. Mm-hmm. And so I think the only difficulty really was the people, because I went the holistic route, it scared people. Mm-hmm. And I lost a lot of weight. I dropped like 45 pounds in three months. And people thought, you know, he's lying to us. He's dying. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is all part of the program. I mean, you know, it's a, I'm healthy. I feel great. So that scared them. But no, I'm glad I did it. I'd do it again. And I think the fact that I was transparent 
for me, was a, a really good thing. It's kind of just who you are. You find something that helps you, and then you pass it along. Didn't you write a book called The Meisner Way? I, the Meisner Plan. You, the you, Meisner you, Plan. You and your team are good. Literally, last Friday, we released a book that is a, a substantial expansion of that. It's called Healing Begins in the Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Healing Begins in the Kitchen. And it's about the Meisner Plan. It's my story and a recipe book. So it's like 400 pages in a whole. Hmm. Two-thirds of it is recipes. And by the way, I'll tell you, full disclosure, I burn water. Uh, I'm I'm not a good chef, but we had a professional chef who helped us with the recipes. My wife is an amazing cook, chef, and we had a medical doctor write it. So it was my story, their recipes, and the medical doctor Hmm. just released called The Healing Begins in the Kitchen. And we did it because everybody kept asking me, what did you do? How did you do it? And it's complicated. And so I try to give everything I possibly could in that book. And by the way, we're donating all the profits of that to health nutrition research. That's fantastic. Oh, great. Well, it's awesome. You know, you've accomplished a lot in your life. I'm curious for you, and many years of health to you too, by the way. You know, you've seen a lot of successful people. You've been successful. But what, what does success mean to you? I believe success is the uncommon application of common knowledge. I wrote a book uh, a number of years ago called Masters of Success, hmm. and I interviewed a lot of people and asked them, you know, what, what's it take to be successful? And generally speaking, they gave really similar answers. When I talked to uh, the average business person, like a BNI member, they would say, well, it's, you know, goals, opportunities, leverage, systems, processes. These are all the things that it takes to be successful. Mm-hmm. And then I asked really, really successful people, Aaron Brockovich and astronauts in the book. I had Buzz Aldrin was in the book. Hmm. I asked them what it took to be successful, and they gave me the same kinds of answers. Goals, vision, systems, you know, leverage, same things. I then asked college students. They gave me the same answers. <laughs> and I thought, wow, wait a minute. Wait a minute. People at the top of their game, multimillionaires, gave the same answers as college students and uh-huh. average business people. What's going on? And I realize that, you know, the thing is that success is the uncommon application of common knowledge. We all know what it takes to be successful. Mm-hmm. We really do. Yeah. We just don't all apply it consistently. Mm-hmm. And it made me think, you know, I didn't invent networking. Yeah. You know, networking been around a long time. Yep. What I did was I applied a really comprehensive system, and I did it like a dog with a bone. <laughs> I say to people, like, um, I may not be the smartest guy in the room. I may not be the most talented guy in the room, but I am almost always the most persistent guy in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, not in-your-face persistent, but like a dog with a bone. Mm-hmm. That's and for me, that's what I did with networking. And I think what happens is a couple of things. First and foremost, especially in North America, we have an entitlement mentality. Mm-hmm. We've been working for two years. Why aren't we filthy rich? <laughs> I tell people I'm a 20-year overnight success. <laughs> yep. it took me 20 years to have right. any kind of real success in business. And so you got to let go of the entitlement. The secret to success without hard work is still a secret. You have got yeah. to work hard. It's so true. You know, my brother and I were just talking about this the other day. It's where you can believe, you know, what a man can believe, conceive, he can achieve. And that is true words, but it doesn't come without... Hard work, grinding, and then also, as you were saying earlier, like having an honest evaluation of yourself to see where you need to grow your skills. 
exactly. You know, the word startup has become, and especially in real estate, it's a startup. I say we're a 21 year startup. You know, it's one thing to start up, you got to keep it going. But I think you've been very fortunate in the fact that you've ended up in a field and an area and with this business that has lined up with who you are as an, an individual and what you value. And I think that's always a big blessing. And I think you've got more chance of persevering in what you're designed to do and what you enjoy and what you love than not. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm working on a book. I've got a version of it that's just in BNI, but I'm working on a book that's going to go public. It's called Who's in Your Room? Mm. And I think it's, it's exactly what you're talking about here. The idea is that imagine that you live your entire life in one room, mm. and that one room has only one door, and that that one door is an enter-only door. So that everyone you let into your life and into your room are there forever. Wow. You could never get them out. Hmm. Now, luckily, this is a metaphor, but if it were true, would you be more, more oh, selective yeah. about who you let in? Yeah. Absolutely. We all, everybody says that. And so the real question is, why aren't we? Right. And the whole concept of the book is that you have to be more selective. And what are you more selective based on? Mm-hmm. You have to be selective based on your values. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you have to really be in touch with what your values are as an individual. And that when you know what your values are as an individual, if you surround yourself with people, they don't have to be completely congruent because diversity is good, yep. even with values. Right. But they cannot be completely incongruent mm-hmm. with your values. And so if you surround yourself with people who have values that are congruent with yours, mm-hmm. then you're going to live a better life. That's true. However you define success for yourself, it may include money, it may not, but you will be more successful in life. Well, and I think that's such a great point. That's fantastic stuff. And I think you said something earlier that there's only one way you know what you value is that you take your time to go and reflect and find those breaks in the years. You said, you know, at the end of the year, it's for you. I try and align myself to my values and find people who have similar values, but don't do it the way I do it. Because then if they do, I'm never going to learn and they're never going to learn. But I think uh, that reflection piece that you talked about earlier on is, is the only way you kind of establish that. But it is already there, right? Absolutely. And taking that time to do it is, is so important. I meet business people who say, well, I've been on a vacation in three years. I've been working. So I'm like, are you crazy? You've got to take <laughs> right. time off. Totally. Well, you've been very generous with your time. And this has been fantastic content and obviously just learning from your story. And I want to be respectful of your time too. But I also we have a little tradition here that we like to finish each show with. And it's kind of a, a rapid fire question. So are you up for that? Okay. Well, let me take a deep breath. Yeah, yes. take a deep breath. This is going to be, this will be over soon. Okay, I have no idea what you're going to ask me. No, I know. This is great. All right, you ready? So let me ask you. The first one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Don't worry about making mistakes, Ivan. You will. Mm. What you have to learn how to do is to respond to the mistake quickly and fix it. Mm. That's so good. You know, I heard somebody here recently, they were a golfer, and they were talking about winning the British Open one year. And they asked him, how come you end up winning? You came out of obscurity. How come you won? And he goes, because I had no fear of losing. I wasn't afraid to lose it. I love it. That's a great answer. And he won two in a row. So, wow. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. That's great. That's great. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, and you will make mistakes, so you just got to be prepared for that. And it's, totally. it's the way you respond to them. That's right. And quickly, as you said. So what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? I don't have any. I mean, I am who I am, and I do the best with what I've got, and I can't imagine having other gifts. Love it. That I want. <laughs> that was great. That's awesome. Best answer I've heard to that one. Believe me, I'm not perfect. There's a lot of there's a lot no, of that's great. That but I'm it. comfortable in my own skin. <laughs> I love it. Okay, what book has been most instrumental in your life? Crucial Conversations. Oh, it, I love that book. 
Oh, gee, absolutely taught me how to deal with conflict. Yeah. Fantastic. We actually trained it all across our company. Every manager in our company goes through it. We do lunch and learns on it. We sent in our trainer to take it. And basically, for those folks, you should check out Crucial Conversations. This is such a great book because it allows you to know what to deal with in conversations with other people versus the drama that creeps in or the storytelling. And it kind of breaks it down to what the real issue is, isn't it? Yes, it really does. I mean, there are things in there like you take their problem and you say the transition and, mm-hmm. you know, can we do what you're suggesting and mm-hmm. accomplish this, which mm-hmm. I think is a, just a brilliant technique to use. It's a great book. Great, great book. Yeah. What about song? Favorite song? You're driving home from a B&I meeting. You know, what's your, what's your groove? Let it be. Let it be. Love it. My son's 11 years of age. Favorite song? Let it be. <laughs> what movie? Is there a movie that inspires you? One that you've watched over and over? Lawrence of Arabia. Love that movie. And it's so funny, I'll be changing channels and there'll be Lawrence of Arabia and I'll go, I am not going to watch this for the 20th time. <laughs> and then, oh, but wait a minute, this scene is so cool. And then I end up watching the next hour and a half of it. Is that Peter O'Toole? Yes. Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Good, I'll take that referral. I just want to thank you for your time. And also, where do folks go if they want to find out more about B&I and getting connected? Where, where do they go? Uh, BNI.com. Uh, you can uh, find out about chapters anywhere in the world. And if you're interested in information for my blog, I have a lot of free content up on my blog, uh, IvanMeisner.com. That's M-I-S-N-E-R. And there's uh, lots of stuff up there that people can read. Well, I would highly encourage that. I'm very blessed to get to talk to you. We talk a couple of times a year, a couple of check-ins, and you're always a shot in the arm. And I always learn something. And you're such a generous, giving spirit and I really, really appreciate that. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this call today. I know that a lot of folks are going to benefit from the information you shared. So thanks so much. My pleasure. And if there's anything I can do for you guys, just reach out anytime. I love it. Ivan, God bless you. Thanks so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to head over and leave a review on iTunes. We're also on Android. So download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. So as I finish here today, I'll leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. <laughs>